Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. Our mission is to live the way of Jesus so we can leave the world better than we found it. If you'd like more information about our church, you can click on the link in the show notes or head to Christ-Community.com. All right, let's get started. Today's scripture is from Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the people of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples, and he will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will no longer take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those that I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. In chapter seven, who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us, You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob. You will show love to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Together, thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Thorne, uh, for leading us in that. as we dive in this morning, uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the pastors who I just love to hear preach um, always starts his sermons by asking his congregation, are you ready for the gospel? Yeah, kids, you can leave for sure. Go, just go for it. It's all right. For a second, I was like, wait, who's leaving? It's not going to be that bad. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, so... As we prepare to hear God's word preached, uh, are you ready for the gospel? Are you, is your heart ready for the gospel this morning? And I, I'm, I'm literally asking myself that as well. Uh, and I, I want us to just pause for a second. Let's pray. Let's pray to have soft hearts. There's a lot going on. Right? You've already heard a lot. If you're a visitor this morning, you're like, what did I walk into, right? Uh, but there's a lot there's a lot going on our hearts. Let's pause for a second. Let's ask the Lord to meet us here, okay? Lord God, we do uh, pray. We ask for soft hearts. We want to be ready to hear your good news this morning and how you and it uh, might lead us forward in faith this morning and in the coming days, individually and together, we ask that you meet us here. We pray uh, in the priceless, matchless name of Christ Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, so this spoiler alert, 
the sermon's about the gospel, right? Uh, even bigger spoiler alert, that all of the Bible uh, is about the good news, is about Jesus, we believe, ultimately, right? I think that uh, spoiler alert, by the way, is the greatest thing perhaps that the internet has ever given us. I don't, I don't remember uh, when the phrase came along, but I love it. Spoiler alerts. Just want you to think for a second of like, what is a spoiler, right? A, a show or a book or something you were enjoying. What's a spoiler that just really ticked you off that someone should have said, hey, spoiler alert right beforehand, right? Uh, if anything comes to mind, you can shout it out. Spoiler, spoilers that made you mad. Oh, Snape, Snape killing Dumbledore. Yeah, sorry. Spoiler alert, <laughs> Snape kills Dumbledore. That's right. Uh, and that's in the, the Chronicles of uh, Tolkien Potter, right? Yeah. Good. good, good, good. One of those, one of those things. Good. Uh, any others? Spoiler that you, yeah. The night dragon in Game of Thrones. I don't know what that means, but okie doke. Um, <laughs> I love spoilers. I love them. I don't want to hear spoiler alert. I tell me what it is because I want to know everything that happens and see if it's still good, right? If you are dependent on the suspense, you didn't write it that well, right? M. Night Shyamalan. Anyway, uh, right? So anyway, you know, that's the, that's the spoiler. This is about Jesus. This is about the good news, specifically as we see it uh, in the Old Testament, right? Uh, it's foreshadowed in the Old Testament and particularly in this book of Micah. We're wrapping up a series this morning uh, in the book of Micah, the prophet Micah, titled What's Good? Uh, and so it's all kind of uh, related to and wrapped around this idea of goodness as God defines it, right? Micah is this prophet. Uh, he is a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah when things are just getting wild. They're really, really bad in the Northern Kingdom, which remember kept the name of Israel. They're getting really, really bad in Judah, the Southern Kingdom, which had some good kings here and there. And so Micah and Isaiah are prosecuting God's people, Israel and Judah. They're saying, hey, here is what you are. Here's what you've become, turn around, right? Uh, and so uh, really good news, by the way, at least for a little while, uh, people in Judah did turn. There was revival. There were really cool things that happened. So, but Micah is uh, foreshadowing some judgment that is coming on the covenant people, though, as well. So there's kind of a both, both and that's going on. And so, uh, what we've seen, I'll just kind of go through. There's a cycle uh, in Micah that God has shown His people what's good. And the most famous verse uh, from the entire book is that uh, God has shown the covenant people what is good and what he requires, right? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with their God. And yet God's people have decided uh, to decide what's good or bad for themselves. And then uh, they're rejecting God's standard of what is good, and therefore they're sliding into not, not only what is immoral, uh, but also eventually uh, injustice and oppression. And it, that's going on all around them, but it's even worse because it's God's people. It's the people who have been shown mercy and grace, et cetera. They know the, uh, the reality of God's promise to them. And so there's a promise that we talked about last week as well, that God will judge even the covenant people, right? And I, even the New Testament says that judgment begins with the house of the Lord, actually. 
uh, and, and God will judge even the covenant people uh, when they go down this path of saying, hey, this is what's good. The way that we live is what's good and we move all the way to injustice, oppression, et cetera. There will be consequences for the covenant people of God. And I'll try to differentiate a little bit between like individuals who have faith uh, and judgment for the collective uh, that is Judah and Israel. Uh, but that's, that's what we're getting at here is more along the lines of the collective, right? So that's what we've been through. This week, we're talking about the eternal promise of good. And the big idea this week is this, the covenant love of God always, always holds out hope for restoration and redemption. And so we, again, we're speaking specifically of this collective of the covenant people in the New Testament, we call it the church. Uh, and it's true regardless, right? It's true uh, for the covenant people. If they will turn, there is hope for restoration and redemption. There's, it's also true individually. We talked about that a little bit in our moment of confession this morning. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how much sin, no matter how bad the sin, right? The scriptures say any, any who repent, right? Who come to Jesus for remission of sin, he will give life. He will give restoration. He will give redemption. And so uh, we're stepping into this, kind of balancing that, the reality that God has said, hey, there is judgment coming for the covenant people, and yet there is this hope. And you notice probably in the scripture uh, that Thorne was reading, it says, in the last days, in the last days, which is uh, really kind of an interesting phrase that the American church has gotten all jacked up um, because I guarantee it, almost everybody in the room, when I said in the last days, you probably went to some kind of uh, left behind craziness in your head, some movie or book or whatever that told you of all the wild stuff that's to come. Um, but when the scriptures talk about the last days is a far broader concept than just like, how is everything wrapping up like right as Jesus returns, right? Uh, the, the way that the scriptures talk about the last days would, would mean that we are in them. Not because like everything's getting worse and worse. You better, right? You can run up as much credit card debt as you want because it's all gonna burn. That's not what we're talking about here. They're like, people really teach that. By the way, I don't know if you knew that. Uh, but no, the, the scriptures say that we are in the last days. I wanna show you a video real quickly. Let's see if this works. It's the next slide, I think. Yeah, okay. You may have seen this on the Faces book before. Still looks like a guy, doesn't it? Nuts. <laughs> it's really cool, isn't it? It's from an artist named Bernard Prah. And uh, one of the... Uh, one of the other video uh, illustrations I used recently, I, Micah Shaw found out almost immediately that uh, the way I was trying to use it, I was wrong. But this one's right. I've looked, I've looked this up. Bernard Pra uh, really does this. He uh, uh, sets up a bunch of uh, items in a row, right? I mean, you could see the video. And uh, it looks a certain way from the front. And then you come out to the side and you see, oh, it's a, that's a couch and what was it, a music stand? There were all kinds of weird things that were all set up that if you look through that little square, this way, looks like a Civil War soldier or something, doesn't it? When the writers of scripture talk about the day of the Lord, 
or the last days, they are looking at something that is arranged chronologically, perhaps. There are multiple pieces of it, but they're talking about it right here in the frame. And so what Micah is looking at is kind of all a jumble. There are things that Micah talks about that we see that like, oh, there's some fulfillment there in their time. Oh, there's even more fulfillment uh, with Jesus. There's a greater fulfillment. Oh, there's even more fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth, right? So Micah sees Judah's restoration from Babylon. It does not mean that he like foresees the future exactly as it is. It means God gives him a message and a vision that he communicates in that time. Right? It does not mean that Micah sees perfectly uh, into the future who Jesus will be and all that Jesus will do. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, in Advent next week, actually. Uh, no, but he is nonetheless uh, telling God's people about a restoration from Babylon that's actually gonna happen after a revival and then even more rebellion and then the exile, right? Uh, he's telling them about the Messiah to come. He's telling them about the Messiah's uh, rule uh, and peace that he will bring. And so uh, all of that from the prophetic mindset is, there's a little bit of scripture that talks about uh, last days uh, as uh, those things that are sort of right uh, at the end uh, when Jesus is returning and all things are being uh, brought together uh, in the, the end of this world as we know it. And so uh, the New Testament apostles and authors also, they saw themselves as living in the last days. When you think about Peter at Pentecost, that's how he referenced what was going on. We are now in the last days. We are in a fulfillment of the last days. And so here's what's happening. The spirit is being poured out at Pentecost. Uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about uh, in times past, God has spoken to his people uh, through prophets in various ways, et cetera. But now in these last days through Jesus, so that's what he's talking about. It's this whole uh, uh, eschatological moment that uh, is going on here. Uh, and we're gonna start by looking at this passage, as I like to do often, from the end to the beginning, right? Spoiler alert, we'll start at the end. Okay, so the Lord is consummating all of history in the delight of his mercy. You see that? We saw that uh, in the, the portion that was in chapter seven. Man, this is good stuff, especially you think about the Old Testament. We give the Old Testament uh, a bad rap sometimes, don't we? But this is from the Old Testament. Who's a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? Doesn't stay angry forever, but delights to show mercy. Like, get your heart set on that. He delights to show mercy. He's not begrudging. We tend to interact with God, maybe you did even in the confession time this morning, as if it's begrudging, as if it's like, okay, <laughs> this one last time, I'm gonna forgive you, but it better not happen again. That's not the God of the scriptures, right? I don't know who taught you to make that up, taught me to make that up, but that is not who Jesus and God portrays himself to be in the scripture. He delights to show mercy. This is what he's all about. Uh, he says uh, he won't stay angry forever. And uh, again, let's talk about this in terms of the individual, the collective, et cetera. There's a little interplay that's going on, right? He does not stay angry forever. He's talking specifically here toward the covenant people uh, collectively, those who uh, love God 
and are called according to his purposes, right? The remnant, as he calls them here, will never experience truly the wrath of God, right? That we call hell. Individually, we may incur God's anger in just little bits. I mean, the, the scriptures talk about uh, even, even Moses, God's anger burned against him for a moment. Right? Those, who, uh, those who follow the Lord, if he is disciplining us, it's a good thing that he'll allow us to taste just a tiny bit, right, here and there uh, to bring us back, always to bring us back, right? I talked about this a little bit last week that we should not just, right, you hit a deer, I hit a deer. Should we just uh, assume that, well, I must've done something bad. It must be some sin that this is all about. No, 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 no. Again, that's not who God portrays himself to be. So when should we conclude, okay, I'm probably experiencing a touch of God's anger here for my good. If it's naturally incurred, if it's just the natural consequence to your obvious sin, you're getting a touch of, of God's anger and it's a good thing. It means he loves you and he wants you back, uh, right? God may make it clear to you as well in your soul, particularly if you are moved to repentance. Moved to repentance. He only allows his true followers to taste this for just a bit to move us back to him to remind us how much he loves us. Uh, if we find ourselves moved to despair, uh, believing that the sin names us, that's just what I am. That's not from God. The scriptures actually say this in 2 Corinthians 7. There's a difference between godly guilt, which leads to life, right? Which is, oh, he loves me. He wants me to return to repent. Uh, and worldly guilt, which leads to death, which moves us to despair, which moves us to, I'll never change, will I? Which moves us to like, oh man, he'll let it go this, just this one more time, but then he's gonna crush me if I ever uh, do it or, or say it again, right? Which names us, that is not of the Lord. And so when we talk about the anger of God and even how God's people might experience a bit of it, it's never that, right? You find that creeping up in your mind, in your heart, it ain't Jesus. It's not the Holy Spirit, right? That's your enemy. Reject that. Scripture does say that uh, God does stay angry uh, in some respect, though. And so I think it's important just to, to note that, uh, that it, those who would fully reject the Lord, uh, there is a, a, an anger. Uh, and yet, always, always holds out hope to the very last seconds that you and I don't know anything about for anybody else. Always holds out hope for life and love for them. And those who follow him, those who are moved to love him, he calls here the remnant. The scriptures call them in other places, uh, the elect, right? Uh, and let's just remember, God's not out to get people. God's not out to get people. God is out to love people. God is out to share his goodness with people, which we've said again and again over this past year, is himself. God's out to get you with his love. Remember, he made it all good at the start, right? He made it all good at the start and people decided we're gonna define what's good for ourselves. 
which the Bible just calls sin, right? It's rebellion against God as king. And, and again, it always results eventually in uh, injustice and oppression. And you think about the scriptural story of sin entering in, what do you see? The next generation, like they bite a fruit and the next generation uh, there's murder, right? That's intense. That got really elevated fast. Uh, a few more generations, you see Lamech come along, and uh, Lamech starts in with polygamy, which is inherently unjust, isn't it? Uh, and Lamech uh, brings in a wicked vengeance. Genesis 4 says, uh, this is a quote of Lamech, he says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times, like the original gangster rap or something. And so there's, uh, there's this trickle down that's happening, right? Immediately it's moving towards uh, not just immoral behavior, this kind of my own private thing, but it's moving into injustice, oppression, et cetera. But the incarnation of Jesus brings hope, brings the hope of redemption, the only uh, one who really represents what's good takes the full penalty of our rebellion, of our oppression, of our sin, right? For those who say, I can never change myself. I can never change myself into what is good. Uh, there's a, uh, let's show this picture of the apple with the orange inside. That never happens except on the cover of Freakonomics uh, book from a few years ago. Uh, that never happens. You cannot get orange juice out of an apple. And so when we hit the spot of saying, I am an apple, I need to be an orange. I, I cannot change myself. Uh, I need God. <laughs> I need God to forgive me. I need God to transform me, right? Only God can bring me into God's presence Bible calls that faith. And the power of the Holy Spirit uh, unites us to Jesus by faith, makes us right with God. And so if the incarnation of Jesus brings the hope of uh, redemption, the resurrection of Jesus brings the hope of restoration, right? We are restored and more. We're transformed more and more into what is good, right? Those who do justly love mercy, walk humbly with our God, and that we are restored restorers, applying this beautiful reality of Jesus in every sphere where we have influence. And then even more, right? Jesus is consummating all things. Consummating all by the power of uh, his spirit. He's completing it all. He's perfecting it all in the delight of mercy, grace, love. Uh, and also, the second thing, in the, the flourishing of his peace. And so the Lord is uh, not only consummating all in the delight of his mercy, he is conquering all nations in the full flourishing of his peace. They're gonna beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Everyone will sit under their own vine, it says. No one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. The voice of the Lord accomplishes this. Uh, the voice of the Lord. He Hebrews 12 talks about uh, the, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, when they're at Mount Sinai, 
and the voice of the Lord rang out and they couldn't bear it. They were like, just, we don't wanna hear that again. Take it away from us. The, the, the power, the authority of the voice of the Lord, not, not audibly necessarily, we're talking about uh, what it is uh, representative of, right? It vanquishes all fear of violence one day. We're talking about this again. The, the, it's not the audible voice that matters here. The, the point is that it is his decree. The decree of the Lord uh, ends it forever. The Westminster Confession says, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose. According to the counsel of his will, where for his own glory, he foreordains whatsoever comes to pass. All of it, all of it. And so in and, in and through this, right, the decree of the Lord is that he conquers on the cross. He conquers on the cross, right? One day he will also conquer stamping out all evil. But look how our God wages war by giving his own life. And, and what he's doing then uh, through his decree of conquering all in his shalom, in his perfect woven together peace, they're, they're taking their weapons of war, their spears, and they're, they're beating them into uh, tools of cultivation. Right, these are uh, tools of literal, physical flourishing, like of, of flowers and fruit and uh, uh, cultivating the ground. Uh, all war and all violence will cease and all fear of it will cease in the peace of the Lord that he is bringing. And it says, we're gonna sit under uh, our own vine and fig tree as well. There's this, this sense of relaxation that comes with it, right? The vine is uh, symbolic uh, of God's blessing. It's a major source of income for them as well. It's a, a, a sign of peace to be able to rest finally. And note God's care of the vulnerable there too, the lame. You see that? The lame, the exiles in grief. There's a both and of caring for the literal, literal vulnerable uh, who God comes for in a unique way uh, and the spiritual, it's both. Uh, who are the remnant? Again, those who know they bring nothing to the table. We're, we're, we're the vulnerable spiritually, the lame spiritually. Can you imagine all of our anxiety before the throne of God? It's like bringing all the anxiety of like, oh God, I know I messed all this. I messed that up. I messed it up. First of all, God probably does not have the quite the same sense of humor that I do, but I kind of imagine him like, first of all, you're way off, man. Like you messed up a lot more than that. A lot more. Uh, a lot more than you ever realized. Uh, but never really cared how that much how good you were at your job. That was not my thing. That was your thing, <laughs> right? I never really cared that much about how good you were at all your little activities. Your checklists were yours, not mine. 
buddy, I always wanted, I still want you. That's what I came for. I think that's the spiritual reality of, of what Jesus is when he talks about the remnant being made up of those uh, who are the lame. Third thing, the Lord is also inviting all people into the eternal joy of his glory. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains, right? Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his ways. We may walk in his paths. He will judge between many peoples. And so you've got this word picture here of this elevation of Zion, the, the mountain uh, that really, it's a hill. There's not much to uh, the Temple Mount, if you've ever looked at it. It's, kind of, it's a little bit of an incline. It would probably, your calves would burn a little bit if you walked up it probably, but uh, there's not a whole lot to it here. Uh, and so what, what we see here is that uh, this word picture is that this mountain is raising up above all others. And again, the idea is not necessarily physically here. It's contrasted with the other divine mountains. Ancient Near East and ancient societies typically had a, a concept of the divine mountain, right? where uh, the, the mountain of heaven, sometimes it was even uh, imagined as a mountain that was like above the clouds somehow, where the presence of the deity would be. And so uh, uh, Micah is saying, hey, it, it's, it's higher up. It's higher up than Olympus. I don't know if you know, they knew about that one or not, right? It's, it's, uh, it's higher up than uh, the divine mountains of the false religions uh, of the Northern Kingdom uh, or Samaria after that, or the surrounding nations. Uh, it's higher up than the, the ziggurats and the pyramids, the man-made mountains, the man-made steps to get up to God. It's higher up than Sinai, where God gave the law. There's a, there's a specific contrast here, right? The, the mountain of the giving the law and the mountain of the presence of God, the presence of the joy of his glory. And so the, the temporal fulfillment uh, is that uh, the idea that Zion will eventually be exalted from the deepest degradation, it's still coming, uh, to the highest glory, as uh, Keel and Delich say in their commentary. And then there's a, there's a fuller fulfillment that is to come because it, it, Jesus is the New Testament mountain of the Lord, so to speak. Jesus is the presence of God come to us. Again, back to Hebrews 12, where it talks about how they couldn't hear uh, the voice of the Lord when they were at Sinai. He says, hey, but you have not come to a mountain that could be touched. This burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is what we come to in the mountain of the Lord. This is what it means that the mountain of the Lord will be exalted over the other mountains. Ed Clowney says, so 
how holy will the city of God become that the inscription on the high priest's diadem, his little uh, gold headplate, will be found on the just the lowly bells of the horses. And the very wash pots of the town will be as the holy vessels of the temple. The boundaries of the new Jerusalem will include all the unclean areas as well as the holy places. It's not only that, right? It's not only Jesus' presence here with us. It's also that Jesus' presence is here through us. Here and now, a people who are united to himself, the church. This has been our idea, big idea all along. Jesus defines goodness and he is making all things good through a people he unites to himself. I don't be careful just to uh, talk about that for a moment. Uh, he, he, he does the work, right? He is uh, the restorer. He is the consummator. Uh, and it's not to say that all of the consummation is through our work. He is doing the work, uh, and yet nonetheless, he truly is working through our little steps of faith to restore and to consummate all things into good. Even though the church is rife with abuse, even though the church at times has been a perpetrator of injustice and oppression. Just like the Old Testament people of God were in both of those. As a history major, I gotta say, uh, a lot of the discoveries of the last few years of those who have have gone on the deconstruction path, which, right, I wanna be careful to say like, hey, deconstruction can often be a very good thing. It's It's not a bad thing to examine what you believe especially when you're examining it with scripture, right? Uh, but a lot of the discoveries that folks have made within the last few years as history major were like, yeah, y'all didn't know this, <laughs> right? Like I, I was reading Martin Luther's anti-Semitic comments like 25 years ago uh, and wrestling with it when I was in college and uh, it, right, reading uh, confessional Presbyterians attempt to use our theology to justify slavery. Uh, it, it's real, it's there, it has always been there. And by the way, the scriptures actually tell you that it will be there. Jesus says it, right? So it should not be a surprise for us. Uh, if it is, it just means we have not been paying attention very well to what the scriptures have to say about how the covenant of people, covenant people of God uh, will look in this lifetime. It will be a mixed bag. And yet God will work through his people, through his remnant. He promises. It's the covenant love of God always holds out hope uh, for restoration and for redemption. Matthew 5, 14, you know it well, right? Uh, Those who are united to Jesus, he says, you are the light of the world. Yet even though all that nasty stuff throughout all of history, nonetheless, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. In Micah, the nations flow in. 
which is really interesting because they, they, they literally flowed in on boats to worship Marduk in Babylon. Uh, uh, so Micah uses this word of like, they're gonna be flowing into Zion actually in the last days. But then they walk out, they flow in, they come out walking in the ways of Yahweh, taking his hope everywhere. So let me talk about what that does not mean for us just for a second. As we flow in, worship Yahweh, walk out uh, his ways, his goodness, et cetera. What this does not mean uh, for us is that uh, you will not be uh, pressured to evangelize. You will not be berated uh, for not evangelizing. No way. Here's what it does mean though. Uh, if we're flowing out with the hope of Jesus, it means uh, four things. First, we will talk about it because scripture talks about it. So we will talk about talking about the hope of Jesus. Second thing, we're gonna rehearse the hope of Jesus. We're gonna rehearse the gospel, the good news, right? Uh, Galatians 1 and 2 Corinthians 11 talk about different good newses, different gospels, right? The gospel of, of getting it right often grabs hold of our heart, does it not? Uh, it could be the gospel of getting it right and having all the right answers, theology or whatever. It can also be the gospel of getting it right and having all my social positions uh, very acceptable, right? All of it's the same idolatry. Uh, but what we want to do is come back again and again and again, no matter what those other gospels try to do to get their hooks in us, we're going to rehearse the good news of Jesus, right? Because when my heart is convinced that I have the love of God in Jesus, that it's a gift, it's not wages, I have not earned it, it just spills out. It just spills out. You can't hold it in. The city on the hill cannot be uh, covered. It cannot be hidden, I heard Louis Giglio one time say he would never, and I don't even think he had a church at this point. It was just the passion movement. But he said, hey, we're never gonna do evangelism training. I'm not sure what I think of that phrase exactly. We'd never do evangelism training. I don't know. But he says, hey, because you know how to do it. You know how to do evangelism. You do it all the time. Have you tried this new restaurant? Right? Have you seen the new iPhone? It takes great pictures. You do evangelism all the time. When we are uh, amazed by the good news of Jesus, it comes out, it comes out. So we'll rehearse the good news. Uh, we also wanna structure our lives to be with those who are not believers. And I think that is getting harder and harder in our society. I don't know if you experienced that as well. Uh, it's harder when you're in ministry. When I was doing music and serving tables, like, man, I had gospel conversations every day. In ministry, it's like, okay, hold on. I gotta get out of this office and go find somebody to talk to here. Uh, it, it's harder. It, it's harder in the current culture, isn't it? We've talked about this again and again. More and more, it feels like uh, we live in realities that are often structured by politics, but are structured by all sorts of things as well. Even the things that, that we think are real or not, sometimes are very different. And so it's just, it's harder and harder uh, to be around one another. But when I'm with those who don't know Jesus yet, and I'm in awe of the good news, evangelism just tends to happen. It just tends to happen. And that's what we're doing with our community groups, by the way. There will be zero pressure, zero. All we're saying is, let's get in love with Jesus and let's be around people and watch what God does with it. 
Last thing, it also means we bring hope with our voice, with our work, with our relationship to the vulnerable. This world is a place of oppression. We hit that already. We know that every culture, everywhere, anyone who ever gets power oppresses. All of them. Every last one of them. We even see it in the church. All right? And again, uh, Jesus makes this clear. We will see it in the church. Therefore, uh, a people of the delight of his mercy, of the flourishing of his peace, of the joy of his glory, those uh, uh, who represent him will work for justice. It's part of it. And our talk of good news is an empty echo without it. So we'll, uh, we'll end with a spoiler alert. Uh, I really wish I would have gotten a spoiler alert for Lost. Did you ever watch that show? It was on a few years ago. The ending of it stunk. And they apparently, the writers, knew the ending the entire time. And they were moving us toward this stupid ending the whole time. Uh, but, but when they knew the story, and so they experienced it radically differently than the rest of us who were like, oh, what's going to happen next? Oh, it's just dumb. Okay, great. Right? In a good way, when you know the end of the story, when you know the real story, even when there is great pain, it changes the way you live it out. It changes the way you experience it because we have a a confident hope of the truth, the beautiful reality of Jesus's consummation of all things. We can move forward with a deep trusting faith in him, no matter how bleak something may look and bring what's truly good, the love of Jesus in our voice, in our work, and our relationships, bringing his flourishing in every sphere. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we long to be those who are agents of your flourishing. We long to be those uh, unlike what we see in the scriptures in this spot in Micah, those who have heard of the good news, even the Old Testament foreshadowing of it, and yet are perpetrators of injustice, of oppression. And we see it all around us. Sometimes it feels uh, very difficult to escape. Well, the stories of Uh, of pain, of abuse, of of authority, of abuse in all sorts of ways in and through even your church. And Lord, we, we long for that not to be a descriptor of us, but to be those who are representing your joy, your delight of mercy. And we know that ultimately your scripture teaches us And just resolving not to be that isn't good enough. It doesn't work for long. So we need you. Holy Spirit, would you meet us here? Would you change us as a result of interacting with your word here and now? Would you change us as we come to your table in a moment? Make us more and more those uh, who represent what is good, who bring your love to bear in our world. We ask these things in Christ's name.